All righty. Grab your seats if you can. And um, first, I just want to say thank you. I, Lisa and I took the last two weeks off and did a little staycation with our kids here and I did not realize how tired I was. I took uh, 13, 12 out of 13 days, I took a long nap. And to me, I, some of you hate naps. Who's in... Uh, uh, team no nap who, who hates naps man I'll pray for people like you Lisa hates naps and she's like I'll just go to bed earlier I'm like no you won't but man team nap anyone okay yes there are some redeemed saints in this place so anyway thank you for time away to just refresh and um, tonight we're going to be talking about developing a theology of friendship uh, a handful of weeks ago, I talked about developing a theology of play and kind of a summer message to capture these moments, to take a deep breath, to enjoy, to be re-childliked, if you will. A week after that, I talked about developing a theology of church and then talked about finding a way to hit the reset button. And tonight, I wanna talk about developing a theology of friendship. So what I'm gonna do is read from the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the front of the book. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. I'll read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 24, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. And we have heard from so many people this week. We've heard from so many sources this week. We've heard the news cycle this week. We've gotten the text messages that unsettled us this week. We got the email that surprised us this week. We've had boardroom conversations this week. All of the stuff has been swirling and we've heard from so many people And now at the end of this week, we say we must hear from you. Please, would you speak to us? I pray, Lord, that I would decrease, that you might increase. And I pray that we would hear your voice that thunders, your voice that reverberates, your voice that pierces, your voice that cuts through the darkness, your voice that makes us new. So, Lord, we pray that your word would race through this place tonight that your word would transform us to the deepest places tonight. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. I heard the story of a guy called Ronald and a guy called Jack, and they were friends for 38 years. And they made it a weekly routine to be together 
at least once and usually twice a week they would gather. And they both were teachers and kind of just wild imaginations and they wanted to be writers and so they would gather and they would read each other their works and they would critique the work and oh man, that was brilliant and oh, what if you tried this in the plot? And, and then they gathered an, an, a small group of friends around them who wanted to be together on a weekly basis and for 38 years they were friends and for 16 years they met usually twice a week and they talked and they prayed and they laughed and they had a pint and they gathered together as men of God and they strengthened each other and they were best friends. You may have heard of Ronald as J.R.R. Tolkien and Jack as Clive Staples Lewis. They created this little group called the Inklings. And out of this group, just between those two guys, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the Chronicles of Narnia and Surprised by Joy and the Great Divorce, I could keep on Going, and I'll just say tonight, there's something about friendship that is a gift from God. One of the greatest gifts that the church can give to the world is a robust theology of friendship. That's kind of my thesis tonight. One of the greatest gifts that the church can give to the world is a robust theology of friendship. And it's interesting when you read the early account, Genesis 1 and 2, like have you ever thought about what the first problem was? Because Genesis 1 and 2 is good, 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 good. Good, 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 good. Just eruptive goodness. And the, the trees and the herbs and the water and the springs and, and the birds and the livestock and the light and, the, and the, the stars and the sun and the moon. The good, 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 good. And then you get to Genesis 2.18 and you find the first problem in all of the scriptures. Have you ever thought about the first problem in all of the scriptures? Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Loneliness was the first problem in the scriptures. It is not good that man should be alone. Adam, think about it. Adam had meaningful projects. He had a, go a gorgeous garden place. He had plenty of provision, but he didn't have any people, any friends, no one with whom to commune. Adam had everything else, but he didn't have the one thing that would make life meaningful, make life rich. He didn't have the face-to-face -face interaction with another person made in the image of God. He, he was lonely. We race to build this text into sort of a theology of marriage, and we could have that talk too tonight. That, that absolutely, Genesis 2, 18 through 24. We could talk about that. That's well and good. But let us not forget that Adam and Eve were first and primarily friends, not breeding partners. The first problem that the Bible identified was solitariness, not sexual unfulfillment. Adam and Eve were made for each other, not primarily for copulation, but for communion. They'd go on walks and they'd work the land, they'd prepare meals and they'd talk about the day and enjoyed the sunset and the sunrise and, and, and talked about their fears. And then of course, Cain and Abel come along and, and, and we, you know, the complexities of life and the busyness of life and all that. But let's just take it back to, and say tonight that we're not primarily talking about marriage here. One of the most radical claims 
of early Christianity is you don't have to be married to live a deeply meaningful life. So let me just take a moment here and talk to you if you're single. You do not have to be married to live a deeply meaningful life. Many single people hear Genesis 2, and and, and it's sort of a, a text that brings them an unfortunate and an unnecessary shame. The New Testament comes along and is this world-shattering document that says the main character was unmarried and he lived a deeply meaningful life. Jesus and Paul and John the Baptist and Mary and Martha and Anna, they were all single and crushing it. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is sort of a big deal. And he didn't have, he wasn't incomplete being single. So can we just say, whether you're married or whether you're single, this text is for you. God has the gift of friendship and communion for you, and there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom, and no one gets left out. Amen? Amen. But what I want you to see is that Jesus' ministry was a ministry of refriending the world. Make up a little word for you. Refriending the world. What does he do? He, He starts walking down the shores of the Galilee and says, hey, you. Come be my friend. Come and follow me. Hey, you, come and follow me. Hey, you. And I don't know what they must have seen in this guy to get out of their dad's fishing boat and to swim to shore and to leave the family business to to end up dying following this guy. But they saw something. They saw truth. They saw reality. They saw the greatest story in the world in the eyes of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus, what does he do? The very first thing, he starts gathering 12 disciples he refriends the world jesus we start to read the gospels and there's this burgeoning community all around him there's activity and i said this a few weeks ago but one new testament scholar said jesus in the four gospels matthew mark luke and john is either at a dinner party leaving a dinner party or going to a dinner party (laughs) they accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton that's, that's how much he was out and about hanging out with people. And he never sinned and he never crossed the line and he was never inappropriate. But they said, this guy's, what in the world? He needs to be fasting and praying. He needs to be on his knees in the house of God all the time. If he's a true holy man, then no, Jesus is out mixing it up with people and he's refriending the world. You got Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus goes to Lazarus' grave, his tomb, and, and he's there four days he's been dead and Mary and Martha are weeping and John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Not because he was stumped, but because he lost his friend. He went to the funeral and he grieved and we know the story didn't stop there, but Jesus was refriending the world. Luke 10, he sent out 72 disciples to preach and to heal the sick. And Luke 10, one, look at this, it says, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them out two by two. Ahead of him to every town and every place where he was about to go. The rule with Jesus is nobody goes alone. Nobody, nobody lives in the, in the curse of isolation. Jesus, God reversed the first problem in Genesis 2.18. It is not good that people should be alone. And so what does he do? He makes helpers. He brings people alongside communion. He creates communion. And Jesus in his ministry refriends the world and he sends them out two by two. Nobody goes alone. Mary, the mother of Jesus, becomes the sort of de facto den mother for this burgeoning community of people taking people in and feeding people and and just being that mom, that extended mom that everyone needs. And Luke 2, we, we, we see that Jesus grew up in a family, a big, extended, complex, difficult family reunion family. 
of aunties and uncles and cousins and, you know, crotchety old curmudgeons that would and and Jesus grows up in this and they they do family trips family reunion trips up to Jerusalem multiple times a year to worship God Jesus is not God hovering over out here in the ether Jesus is not God from a distance Jesus is God as Brett said it during the offering who takes on flesh who moves into the family story Jesus is the God who came to refriend the world Jesus grew up in a family business with salty tradesmen and day laborers and people who were cursing and spitting tobacco and doing all that. Jesus was not God in isolation. He was God among the people, refriending the world. 1 Corinthians 15, three to nine, gives us a glimpse of post-resurrection Jesus. And there's 500 people. That's a, that's a large congregation. That's us gathered around Jesus when he's taken up into glory, when he ascends. Of course, any robust theology of friendship is rooted in the fact that God himself in his essence is friendship. God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the beautiful triune dance of love from all eternity and into all eternity. We need friends because God is friendship and we are made in his image and so loneliness is a great curse and God comes to reverse the curse of loneliness. Jesus, I'll just say it this way, he did not simply come to save your soul for a future in heaven. He came to rebuke the curse of loneliness and save you into a community of friends that are on the way to a glorious future. We have just made Jesus so transactional that he hung on the tree because I had sins and the sins had separated me from God and so he died and all this, and it, but it's just so quick and so transactional. We don't realize what we what we say is Jesus just saved us for some future, but it's got to stink along the way. But no, Jesus saves us into a community of saints that walk each other across the finish line and into the glorious future that he's got for us. We need each other. Nobody goes alone in the kingdom of Jesus. So if loneliness is the first problem, friendship will always be God's solution. So let me ask this question tonight. I want to ask, what are the threats to friendship? Let's get practical here. If, if friendship is God's gift to us and if, if God is, is bringing together a group of people and, and he wants to rebuke that loneliness, what are the threats to us receiving the gift of friendship? I'll say three things uh, about this. The first threat is blatant individualism. The American myth is built on this sense of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It is, it's individualism. We, we settled the rugged West and we found a way to live in the high desert. And I've, I've gotten an education and I'm really smart and I've worked really hard and I've saved money and I and I and I and I. And, and blatant individualism does not work in the kingdom of Jesus who is here to refriend the world. We hear this story all the time you know, in our marketing our commercials and our, what do you need? You need this, you deserve this, you, you, you. But Jesus is always bringing together a community of us. So the first threat to friendship, and I'll just be quick here, is just blatant individualism. The second thing is dizzying busyness. Do you ever just look up at the end of the week and just like, I need a cigarette. I don't even smoke. <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, just, like, 
you look at the calendar, just dizzying busyness. And I heard someone say one time, adult friendship is two people saying, I haven't seen you in forever. We should really hang out more over and over again until one of you dies. Is that, can you put that up on the screen? I haven't seen you in forever. We should really hang out. Just, you, have you ever said that? Like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh, we, oh I love you, I just, it'd be great. And until one of you dies. Dizzying busyness. And we race past the thing that would be for our good. The thing that would be for our healing. The thing that would be for our peace. The thing that would bring us deep satisfaction and You know, Lewis and Tolkien could have chosen a hundred other things, but every week they said, we will be together. And it is the great gift of 38 years of their friendship that not only blessed them, but ended up changing the world, which which is just worth saying that friendship is fruitful. Those guys were prolific. They blessed the world. It wasn't just them circling up the wagons and taking care of one another, but when you're settled into the gift of God's friendship, you end up being fruitful beyond your little circle. Blatant individualism, dizzying busyness. And the third threat to friendship is our pathological avoidance of conflict. We used to go to Greasy Spoon Diners and sit and talk things out, look people in the eye. When it gets hard now, it's gotten so easy. Maybe our first easy response is to bolt to cancel people, to ghost people, we disappear, we find a new group, we turn the back, we la 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 la, and we just, and we try to avoid and we walk down different hallways and find new routes of driving around town so we don't have to see people and get in the wrong situations. We, we, we avoid conflict. We find a new tribe and we start over. We want these easy echo chambers, not the deep discussions that could result in a hard-won unity. But friends, if you're going to find a way forward that is life-giving and fruitful, you will have to press into the difficulty. You will have to fight for unity. You will have to do everything, as Paul says in Ephesians, to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's hard work. When we live this way, though, when we give in to the pathological avoidance of conflict, what happens is you don't end up having 20 and 30 and 40 year friends. You can't. And people that I don't trust, can I just tell you some of the people that I don't trust? People that show up in their later life and they don't have any 20, 30, and 40 year friends. I don't trust it, why? Because what have you done along the way that disallows you from carrying people with you into the, like you've been flighty or you've not looked people in the eyes or you've been untrue to your word. But friends, the gift of long friendship, you'll have to fight for that. You'll have to get over who they voted for in the last election if you wanna carry 40 year friends with you. You'll have to get over them having nicer stuff than you and just say, God, thank you for blessing them. You'll have to get over just the little niggling and nagging frustrations and annoyances that, that are now drilling a hole in the bottom of the friendship bucket and we're losing our people over stupid stuff. But to fight for and to preserve and to say, you know what, I'm gonna do everything to make every, every bit of effort to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And people who do that over the long haul show up like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and they go, You're my greatest gift. 
God took care of me on my sojourn across planet earth and I wasn't lonely and he answered my prayer by giving me you. Blatant individualism, disease, busyness, pathological avoidance of conflict. If we give in to those things, if we let them be primary, they will threaten and rob us of the gift of friendship. So now let me ask, what are the three things? How do we develop decades-long friendships? If we know the three threats, I want to put three things in front of you tonight that I think will help you preserve and to receive that gift of decades-long friendship. The first thing that I want to suggest is commit to covenant community. I could say it this way. Be a part of the body of Christ. Go to church. Show up. Because Jesus, over against the American individualism that we, it's just in the water. Jesus says, oh, you want me to teach you to pray? The, the, the friend group, the, the refriending of the world that he was doing in his ministry, one day they said, Jesus, you've got something different when you go to the place of prayer. Would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Okay. Our. There are no first person singular pronouns in the, in the Lord's Prayer. There's no me's or my's or I's in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us God please all of us deliver us from evil because the world is crazy and the enemy's going around like a a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour give us this day and protect us lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever Jesus says if you want to receive the gift of friendship you've got to be swallowed up into the life of the covenant community of faith the people who have said I will follow Jesus he says travel with those people until I bring you home settle into covenant community commit to that second thing that I think will help preserve decades long friendships is developing holy rhythms CS Lewis And J.R. Tolkien had holy rhythms. And they said no to everything that threatened the thing that they thought was primary. And so my question to you tonight is how do you want to live? And with your people, like we have agency. We get to make decisions. We are not just being drugged along behind the back of someone else's story. Like we get to sort of unhitch from the madness of the culture that we live in and say, look, if, if adult friendship is two people saying over and over again, we should hang out so much more over and over again until we die. Why don't we just sort of unhitch from that and live differently, create different routines? Dinner groups in homes. Maybe you can just start with once a month on the first Sunday night of the month and you grab your people and you say, hey, put it in your calendar and say no to everything else. And we'll see it in my house and then we'll shift to your house the next month and then we'll shift to your house the next month and we're gonna gather and we're gonna feed each other and we're gonna pray and we're not going to be lonely on our way to heaven. Develop holy rhythms. How do you want to live? How do you want to structure your life? Church and then house to house. This is what you find in the early story of Acts. They gathered together and then they scattered to homes. And then they gathered together and then they scattered to homes. This is the way of the people of God. You have to decide to develop holy rhythms. The the Tuesday morning breakfast meeting with your people. 
see you before work. We're gonna join together. So the first thing is, you commit yourself to covenant community. You develop holy rhythms. The third thing, the third practice, is practice gracious truth-telling. Again, we easily run away when it gets hard. Oh, they're difficult. They're, oh, oh, I knew we'd find something. I, I suspected that they'd be di- Yeah, they're going to be difficult just like you are. Practice gracious truth-telling. Proverbs 27, 6, Solomon, the old sage said, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy, oh yeah, great, great. And then they walk away and they roll their eyes and they go, I'm glad I'm done with that person. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. In any deep relationship, you're going to have to say the hard thing, and it's, it, it's meaningful. I remember traveling with Pastor Brady uh, years ago to a church, and Brady was speaking, and I was with him and helping, and we had a great weekend with this church, and Brady preached a great sermon, and then they took us to the airport, t- dropped us at the curb. The pastor was driving. Brady was in the front seat next to him, and I was in the back seat, and we got to the curb, and Brady's about to get out, and I'm about to get out to get our bags, and the pastor puts it in park, and he turns in his seat to Brady, and he says, Brady, tell me the 10% that I don't know. Brady goes, excuse me? He said, I, you were out here this weekend, you watched the church, you, 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 you saw our worship team, you saw our staff, and you were in the staff meeting, and you, you got to watch how our services go. And he said, I, you're gonna get to your gate, and you're gonna pick up your phone, and you're gonna call Pam, and you're gonna tell her about the weekend, and then you're going to save the 10% to her that you haven't told me. You're gonna tell her what we should get better at, and if we were wise, we would grow in this area, but... He didn't ask, so I'm not gonna volunteer it. Brady, I need you to tell me the 10% now or else I will never grow. And so Brady and I came home and we started talking about that in our team. And so that's one of the things that we talk about around here is like, what's the 10% that you haven't told me yet that would help me grow if you would just tell me? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Gracious truth-telling, not vicious truth-telling. We, we see this invitation, I'm gonna tell the truth. And we end up wounding people. No, gracious truth-telling. But the other option is we just ignore it and we, and we go, la, 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 and nobody gets better and then we end up not having decades-long friendships. Friends, if you're going to have the gift of decades-long friendship, you have to learn to practice gracious truth-telling. As we come to the end here, I want to tell you two stories. Friendship is a funny thing. And, and C.S. Lewis, again, this prolific author in his famous book, The Four Loves, he says, friendship is, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Like, it's a funny thing. It's unnecessarily like, like philosophy. It's unnecessary like art. It's unnecessarily like the universe itself. It has no survival value. Friendship has no survival.